The direct counterattack, wing play, park the bus, Gagan press, Catanaccio, or just plain old fashioned lump it up to the big lad. All certainly have their merits, but none have quite had the impact that Tiki Taka had on world football in the mid 2000s. The style of play, characterised by short passing and movement, working the ball through various channels and maintaining possession, delivered Spain the World Cup in 2010 and the European Championships in both 2008 and 12. Pep Guardiola's Barcelona attained unprecedented success deploying the tactic, bringing home 14 trophies in just four years. Players such as Xavi and Iniesta were masters of the art, but here on the 11, we wanted to look a little beyond the obvious and consider the players who might have thrived in such a system but never really had the chance. Welcome to the Tiki Taka 11. That is right. A beautiful way to play the beautiful game. Here on the 11 podcast, we're going to be picking our Tiki Taka 11. So if you have any suggestions, then do get in touch with us on Twitter at 11pod. That's the word not the number. Right, so in goal, I've picked someone that not many people would immediately spring to. I've gone for Itumaleng Kune. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I have heard of him. I've heard of him through FIFA primarily. Absolutely. I mean, FIFA is... It's a rating guide that we use quite extensively on this show. We'd yeah. love to point to people's redeeming stats and features on that famous game. On FIFA 21, Itumalenkune ranks third in distribution or kicking behind Edison Manuel Neuer. Wow. So that is the reason that I've selected him in this team. I think that's really quite sensible then. So he is a South African international goalkeeper. He's accumulated 91 caps for them. And he has played his whole career in South Africa for Kaiser Chiefs. Nice. So he has stuck to South African domestic football. And I think, personally, I just find that a shame. I would have loved to see him playing his quite aggressive style of goalkeeping in Europe, see him on a more regular stage. Because frankly, we as... English viewers only really get to see him in the World Cup. Actually, he had a pretty horrendous World Cup in 2010 when he was playing for the host nations of Africa and he got sent off in their 3-0 defeat against Uruguay, which meant he actually had to sit out their triumphant victory 2-1 against France in the last game. (laughs) But um, he's quite simply magisterial with the ball at his feet. He played actually initially as a defender when he arrived for trials at Kaiser Chiefs in 99. Um, But he actually assumed the goalie gloves by chance because he experienced chest problems during a junior game and found himself reduced to the role of ball boy. And when he was diving for balls that had missed the target, he caught the attention of the youth coach um, and converted to goalkeeper. (laughs) That's ridiculous. That can't have happened. It, it, it did, quite by chance. Yeah. And then he's gone on to have a very impressive career, um, especially internationally. He's actually been hailed by former Liverpool goalkeeper Sander Vesterveld. Yes, yeah. The best you will see anywhere for his distribution skills. So he clearly disagrees with FIFA 21 rankings. Um, <laughs> and just pinning our hopes a little bit still further on the FIFA rankings... Um, FIFAplayerRatings.com describe his elite 
kicking abilities and accurate goal kicks and punts, taking pressure off his defence and creating attacking opportunities. And I think that's really what we're looking for from a tiki-taka goalkeeper. We see, obviously, at Pep Guardiola's Man City, um, Joe Hart was number one when Pep arrived and he was Mm -hmm. ousted pretty quickly simply for his inability to play the ball effectively out from the back. And they actually brought in Claudio Bravo, who wasn't necessarily the best shot stopper, but was very, very good with the ball at his feet. So Mm. that's absolutely key. I think you're absolutely spot on, actually, Arthur. And it's quite a modern concept that the goalkeeper is another outfield player when you're in possession of the ball, another outlet. Um, I'm just looking at some of the stats of Kune now. He's actually only five foot 11, which is incredibly small for a goalkeeper. And I guess you could draw some parallels with Ike Casillas in that Spain side that was so successful. A goalkeeper who, yeah, sure, was a great shot stopper. Um, I mean, Casillas had everything really, but very much the more athletic keeper rather than the the big lumbering stopper. And and that seems to fit in this tiki-taka mould. Uh, and and in my opinion, left back is where w- we really get serious. I'm going to go for Jean Beausejour. Oh, what a player! <laughs> Do you a remember legend. Jean? Yeah. Oh, what a what a what a fantastic player Jean Beausejour was. Um, he actually signed. A lot of people forget this because of his fame at Wigan. He signed originally in the Premier League for Birmingham City, uh, mm. where he spent two years. That was from 2010 to 2012. Um, And he had an incredibly eventful time in England. Uh, Over his four-year spell in this country, he had three trips to Wembley, two relegations, two Europa League runs, one Carling Cup and one FA Cup. Now, that's mental, really, for a, a player that's playing for Birmingham and Wigan. But in my opinion, he had all the credentials to play much, much higher. He he actually made over 100 caps for his country, Chile. He was quick. He had an ability to go forwards. He was very comfortable on the ball. He was strong, wasn't afraid of making a tackle. Um, In fact, he actually made the same number of interceptions during his time at Birmingham uh, that Trent Alexander-Arnold did uh, in the season when he was heralded in 1920. Um, That's 2019 to 2020. You're rather old chap, Trent. So never one to shirk his defensive responsibility, Jean Beausejour. The reason that I felt he would be particularly apt in this side, um, obviously, as you know, Arthur, I'm a Reading fan, and I unfortunately had to watch unfold uh, a game back in 2012 uh, where Wigan took on Reading and they won 3-2. And he was phenomenal down the left-hand side. I would urge you to watch the cross uh, for the first goal put in by Jean Beausejour that day. He could have had five assists over the entire match, to be honest. But it was his ability to bomb forward um, that really impressed impressed me and made me feel he would work within a tiki-taka system because I think you need those wing-backs to overlap. He's also a bit of a hothead. And that kind of contributed to it as well. Um, he was actually dropped from the Chile squad for 10 games, having breached a, uh, a curfew in 2011. Um, he and four other players, including Arturo Vidal, uh, went to the baptism of Jorge Valdivia's daughter, who was a, a Palmeiras player. And they uh, it said on this article, which I, I'm just going to repeat word for word because it's a great sentence, they imbibed copious amounts of unholy liquid <laughs> and then headed back to camp. 
<laughs> Go, Jean Bosigeau. Yeah, love him. I have to say, I think that's a really good shout for this team. Uh, didn't necessarily play for some of the most attacking teams, but certainly displayed a lot of those characteristics himself. And I think the explosive overlapping is a very important feature of this team. So you see with Dani Alves and that prime Barcelona team, mm. the ability to bomb forward and actually add, not just in addition to the left and right wingers, the left and right backs or left and right wing backs really offer that additional option in the final third. And, and they look, I think, to over overload the defence with just so many attacking outlets. And I yeah. think he'd be really good in that. Well, that's so true. And, and this is obviously harking back to a Wigan side under Roberto Martinez that unlike the Wigan that we became familiar with when they first came up with the likes of Lee McCulloch and Ayanda Zoo, and it was all quite big and burly, um, he was trying to impose a bit of an international style on the side. They had Ivan Ramis, Antonio Alcaraz. I don't know whether you remember Ronnie Stamm, Arthur. Oh, um, Ronnie Stamm. Yeah, Ronnie Stamm. He was a, a blast from the past. So it was a very different side. And ultimately, of course, it didn't work. They got relegated. Um, but he was part of that cultural influence that came into Wigan at the time. Very good shout, Ben. I like that. Arthur, I guess we've got a ball-playing centre-back required. We do, actually. It's a player who could have been considered for the unfulfilled potential eleven. Okay. He's a truly elegant defender, I feel. Jonathan Woodgate. Ah, Jonathan. What, what a, a man. And actually, it it was a disappointing career for him because it all started off so well at Leeds United. He was really displaying his characteristics as one of the best defenders in this country. And actually, I think something that shows how injury really played a part in his career is the fact that he only had eight caps for England, Mm. uh, despite being less than a year older than John Terry and making his England debut four years before him. And of course, Terry went on to become one of the best centre-backs this country's seen and made 80 caps so absolutely right a disappointing career I think looking at him as a defender he was largely atypical for English centre halves at the time in the sense that he was very very comfortable on the ball and played it out from the back when he could certainly playing in a system that wasn't tiki-taka I don't think tiki-taka had really reached this country so I saw him as a defender who read the game exceptionally well And I think potentially a hallmark of a defender who is a class above is someone who brings their centre-back partner to another level. And I read an interesting article on The Mag, which is a Newcastle fan site. Okay. Claims that Woodgate is unquestionably the club's best centre-back of the Premier League era and also talks about the impact that Woodgate had on his centre-back partnership, who was the iconic Titus Bramble. Yes, Titus. We love him. Indeed, we do. It said, Bramble had all the physical and technical aspects to be a great centre-half, but he had the uncanny ability to make a catastrophic error at least once a game. Mm. With the assured presence of Woodgate by his side, those errors became a thing of the past, with Bramble enjoying the best spell of his career at the club. Bramble would regress significantly once Woodgate left the club. So I like the fact that such is his poise on the ball and control that he has such a positive impact on the defender alongside him. And of course, he had that nightmare debut at Madrid, which he's famous for. Obviously an own goal and a sending off. Um, Having waited, poor guy, 13 months to make his debut, (sighs) 
he's, he was just on the injury table all the time. Um, but despite that, he's remembered favourably in his time he had at Madrid by some outlets. I, I read an interesting article by a Spanish columnist who said, he's fantastic, a centre-back with something of Hierro about him, strong in the challenge and elegant with the ball at his feet. Re- a really classy centre-back, and it's very much a case of what if. Yeah, he. I'm a big fan of Jonathan Woodgate, actually. And you don't get signed up by the Galacticos for no reason. You know, 13.4 million in a time when Real Madrid were thriving and La Liga was the place that people wanted to go. It's just so sad that injury crippled his career, really, but certainly known as a ball-playing centre-half. A fun fact about Jonathan Woodgate, do you know he's actually married to Stuart Downing's sister? I did know that then. (laughs) (laughs) Natalie Downing. It's great, isn't it? I mean, people tune in for this sort of rubbish, don't they? Yeah. I mean, I don't like. Is that against the code of conduct? I mean, Downing was a uh, a Borough teammate of his at the time. I think when they uh, when they got together, Natalie and Jonathan. I don't know yeah, whether that's uh, whether he had know. the. Uh, yeah, I just don't know how that conversation's come about. Really, <laughs> it's just it's very strange. But anyway, um, I, I to- totally agree with you. I think Jonathan would get to be a really good shout, and I can imagine him and John getting on really well as well, playing uh, next to each other. Obviously, exactly. Centre back alongside Woodgate, another player who is athletic and comfortable on the ball. That feels so natural for the Tiki Taka 11. Uh, and that's an ex Swansea centre half. Any ideas, Arthur? Uh, I'm not sure. Was it another Martinez era player? Um, Loudrup, more so. Okay. Um, I can't think then. It's Chico Flores. Oh, quality centre back. Yeah, I mean, as a defender in a tiki-taka lineup, you have to be able to pass. And he was incredibly comfortable on the ball. Uh, in fact, in the 2012 season, he had a pass completion rate of 91.7%, um, which was a record that was only bettered by seven other Premier League players at the time. Um It was in an era where Swansea were seen as playing a beautiful brand of football. They'd just come up to the Premier League, obviously, for the first time. um, And they were trying to impose a style on the league that was was different from most promoted sides. Most promoted sides were scrapping out results. They were trying to play football the beautiful way. And it was really successful. Um, In his early days, Chico actually played for Barcelona B when Pep was in charge. Um, so obviously many people um, attribute Barcelona's Pep Guardiola with with imposing this tiki-taka style. And in fact, Chico worked with him uh, and helped him to win promotion um, in the Spanish tier system. As much as I love Chico Flores as a footballer and think he was incredibly talented and fit Swansea at the time. The other reason why I think he'd be a great shout for this team is that he wasn't afraid of roughing people up the wrong way. And I think when you're playing in a, in a tiki-taka style where it's all kind of nice and parsey-parsey, you know, you need someone who's not afraid to put a tackle in and, and be a bit aggressive. And certainly some of Chico Flores's off-the-field antics suggest that, that perhaps he'd be a good fit. In January 2014, the police were called to Swansea's training grounds after Chico allegedly picked up a brick in a furious row with Gary Monk. Uh, This is something he denies. He also famously had that incident, I don't know whether you remember, Arthur, where he laughed, um, Allardyce laughed in his face. 
Oh, that was Chico. That was Chico that's a, Flores. That's a yeah. brilliant image, just seeing Allardyce. Uh, Allardyce is an entertainer. I'll give yeah, him. I mean, Allardyce laughed in his face. Chico kicked off. And then when Allardyce lost the England job after only a matter of days, um, Chico posted a, a picture on his social media with the kind of gangster cigar and sunglasses to show that he'd had the last laugh. <laughs> in my research something that i think you should look up after this episode arthur chico flores has also starred in a music video oh it's uh it's a music video um by nane who is a singer from mallorca uh, in which he stands on a yacht running his fingers through his hair um he, he basically has this romantic relationship with the singer um, but then he's shown another woman and he's uh, questioning whether to be faithful or not in the music video. Um, and actually, uh, as you can tell, I had a great afternoon just looking up various videos of Chico Flores <laughs> as you do, because there's also a bizarre workout video where he's um, he's in his Swansea shorts in this kind of barren wasteland. Um, and, you know, when players do the sort of training in the park to prove that they're fit. Yeah. Well, Chico does one of these as a free agent, but... I can't tell you like how lame it looks. He's, he's just running and then doing like squats in this sort of barren field. Um, it's fantastic. Is it a gimmick or is he actually looking? He's looking for the... He's uh, looking for a club. He's probably still looking for a club on the basis of what I saw on that video. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I, I genuinely think we should just dedicate our whole show to Chico Flores at some point because there's so much material. And you've picked the right back as well, haven't you? Well, we don't just need ball players uh, in this Tiki Taka 11. We also need thinkers of the game. Uh, and this chap makes it because he's currently imposing a more beautiful style of play uh, on the Argentinian national team. It's Lionel Scaloni. Oh, very good. Do you remember I, him? Yeah, I don't so much remember him as a player. Obviously, I know him as the, the current national team manager, but interested to hear about his career. Well, he, he played predominantly for Deportivo La Coruña uh, in La Liga, uh, and he played for them during a particularly successful spell in their history. Uh, he won a La Liga title and he reached the Champions League semi-final in 2004. Um, he's made... 200 La Liga appearances, so he was of a reasonable calibre, but um, a falling out with the managerial setup over in Deportivo meant he ended up going out on loan to the Premier League and he had a brief six-month spell with West Ham. West Ham fans are probably laughing at his inclusion. Uh, he played 13 games. He was reasonably well thought of, but unfortunately he made an unbelievable error in the FA Cup final, uh, West Ham were leading 3-2, if you remember, against Liverpool. Scaloni received the ball in his own half. He played the ball sportingly out for a throw-in because there was a player down injured. When he received the ball back from the throw, the Liverpool players charged towards him, obviously desperate to make something happen in the final seconds of the game. Uh, and instead of just hoofing the ball clear... He tried to play a quite a clever pass through the midfield in the 96th minute or something like that. Um, obviously ended up at a Liverpool foot and a matter of seconds later, Steven Gerrard hits an absolute worldie into the bottom corner uh, and the game heads into extra time. And as we know, they, they lost the game on penalties. 
So ultimately, I felt that the moral of this story was that Lionel Scaloni wants to play. And he, he, does, he does want to play, but does this does that example not show that he can't play? <laughs> I think it I think it shows a desire, Arthur. He wants to play at all costs, and unfortunately, know, it didn't ben, favor ben West pick- Ham. Ben, we're picking players who would fit into a tiki-taka 11. We don't want someone who'll who'll try to thread the ball through to the midfield but fail. I think there's more to Lionel than just that, Arthur. I think you're being very harsh at the moment. He misjudged his clearance, but he was trying to play the beautiful game. Yeah, and to be honest, if we're going to judge people on one mistake, then Kune will struggle with that red card in the World Cup as well, so... Fair enough. <laughs> that, that is true. Um, he's also got a lot of passion going for him, Lionel Scaloni. Um, here's a little story. When he was 27, that was when he signed for West Ham. Uh, he signed on the final day of the January transfer window at five minutes before midnight. Um, and at that point, he persuaded the managing director, Paul Aldridge, to open up the club shop, especially for him, so that he could sleep in a West Ham shirt that evening. So sorry. So he was he didn't sleep in the club shop. He was just given no. A shirt. He, he wanted to get a West Ham shirt so that he could <laughs> sleep in it back home on his first evening. He wow. said it's unusual, I know, but I really wanted to see the shirt I was going to play in. As the transfer happened so quickly, I only found out the club were interested in me on the day that I actually signed. So I just thought this would help me familiarise myself with the club to some small degree. <laughs> he, really, he really is a thinker, this guy. He is a thinker. He's a thinker. And that's why he's in the 11. Um, he's currently helping Argentina back to their best after a dreadful spell um, in the 2018 World Cup. Um, many people are really pleased with the identity that he's he's starting to develop there, despite the fact that Maradona said that he could not manage traffic. Jerome Martins in the middle, so is Beausajour. Simple, simple goal. First goal for Birmingham City for Jean Beausajour. All this ticky-tacker talk has made me wonder if Pep's Barcelona is the best club side of all time. I thought potentially it would be interesting to compare them with a few other amazing sides that you and I have seen during our lifetimes Mm. and to see if we're able to definitively crown a best side. I wanted to take, first of all, that Barcelona side from 2009, I thought was their best year. Mm. Uh, It was the year they delivered the first treble in Spanish football history. And to give you an example of their starting lineup, I've decided to pick the team that started their 6-2 victory at the Bernabeu versus Madrid. So in goal, they've got Valdez and then a back four of Alves, Puyol, Pique and Abidal. Mm -hmm. Uh, defensive midfield Yaya Toure, who was replaced by Busquets as the game went on. Two pretty damn good options. Yeah. Uh, Centre midfield pairing of Xavi and Iniesta. And then right wing Etu, left wing Thierry Henry and false nine Lionel Messi. What a team that is. Such a strong team. It really is. I think when they're playing this tiki-taka style, having the false nine is such an interesting position. It's... It's what gives Messi license to drop incredibly deep and start attacking movements from deep within inside the opposition's half and then b- bring those attacking players. To have Etu and Henri playing off Messi is yeah. phenomenal. It is, it is. And it just sounds so attacking, doesn't it? That's the, that's the thing. Um, 
but when you've got some of the best defenders in the world, you can afford to play that kind of fairly rigorous attacking style. Um, certainly, I believe that that squad would be as successful nowadays as they were back then. Exactly. Having Yaya Toure as a defensive midfielder is incredible. Bold, we remember, to say the least. We remember, of course, his probing runs for Man City. He was a, a legend for Man City yeah. and very much an attacking player. So to have him at defensive midfield and actually... For much of that season, they they played him as centre-back in the role that Mascherano obviously went to mm. uh, fulfil, the centre midfield dropping back into centre-back to create that additional ball-playing option. Um, and that team was pretty staggeringly good. Um, so worthy of consideration as potentially the best of all time. But I'd like to pit them against 1999's Man United. Okay, the, the treble-winning side. The, the treble-winning side. It's an interesting one because when people think of that 1999 side, they think of the following lineup that I'm about to say. But it actually only started two games in the whole season, really? one of which was the Champions League quarterfinal victory against Inter at Old ah. Trafford. And that is Schmeichel, Gary Neville, Stam, Ronnie Johnson, Irwin, Beckham, Keane, Skulls, Giggs, and then York and Cole up front. Mm-hmm. And that's just a step. I mean, that midfield, you couldn't really, that might be the Premier League's all-time greatest on its own. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a time when 4-4-2 was the go-to formation, wasn't it? Certainly in England. Um, and they just played it so well because they had creativity in there. They had bite, the likes of Roy Keane. Cole and York were dangerous up front, although we know Oli Solskjaer obviously was the one that got the, the crucial goal. I... I think there's a few question marks. Uh, Ronnie Johnson, um, a decent player. Um, I don't think he's of the same standard of the likes of, of Puyol. Hey, I, I think that treble winning side that Salif, Alex Ferguson built was the culmination of a lot of hard work. And certainly that class that came through at United were a special breed. Um, put them against that Barcelona team, no chance for me. Uh, and then the third team I'd like to propose is is another treble winner. Uh, I think it would only be fair to uh, compare three treble winners, and that's Bayern Munich of 2013. Yeah. Uh, and this is the team that started the Champions League final against Dortmund. They had Neuer, Lahm, Boateng, Dante, Alaba, Javi Martinez, Schweinsteiger, Robin, Muller, Ribery behind Mandzukic, which is... Just an unbelievable team. Yeah, it's an unbelievable team. You're right. And it's the balance and it's the drive. And and every single one of those players that you you named worked their socks off. Um, Exactly. I I don't want to make the German stereotype any greater, but it's that sense of efficiency and drive and performance that you get from that side. There's a couple of weak points. Um, I would say Mandzukic obviously crushed the England dreams, but he was soon replaced by Lewandowski, wasn't he, after that Champions League final? Um, and, and Dante as well. Uh, I know Boateng at the time was was a quality defender. Dante did a great job in there. Yeah, they, they actually, I had to pick that side because that was the stronger of the two defensive alternatives. The other option was Daniel Van Boyten. Yeah, I remember <laughs> Daniel Van Boyten. You can win as they prove Champions League finals with with all sorts of lineups. I do you know what my gut still tells me that Barcelona side is the best side that that I've seen.
Well, for the Tiki Taka 11, uh, our formation today is a 4-3-3. We're going to play a false nine, sneaking that one in. Um, but the defensive midfielder is up for grabs. So if you're familiar with the show, uh, you will have a chance to vote on Twitter at 11pod uh, for which player you want to complete the 11. Both Arthur and I will make nominations at the end. Um, let's move swiftly on, Arthur. Centre midfield. I've gone for Jordi Gomez. Oh, wow. Jordi Gomez. Oh, I've completely <laughs> forgotten about him. He was a fantastic player, most known for his time at Wigan Athletic. Um, but of course, he did come through Barcelona's famed La Masia Academy uh-huh. um, and then went on to play for Barcelona and Espanyol's reserve teams, only featuring pretty fleetingly um, in the first team picture. He went on to spend the vast majority of his career in England, as I say, mainly with Wigan Athletic, but only after they'd seen him shine in the championship on loan at Swansea City. Mm. And actually, that's where Martinez comes in. He was the one who bought him to Swansea City. Uh, and then subsequently, when he went to Wigan, he took him with him. So a player that Martinez was immensely fond of. He scored quite a few goals in the championship with Swansea, and he was really seen as quite an attacking centre midfielder, I think. Um, and the thing about Gomez is that due to the footballing education he received, I think his footballing mind functioned far too quickly for the players around him. Mm. He always seemed like he was two steps ahead of everyone else. And because his teammates couldn't keep up with him, he was often caught spending too much time on the ball. In countries such as Spain and Holland, players are encouraged and coached to think a few steps ahead. And actually, interesting, you mentioned Jean Beausajour earlier. We chose Jean Beausajour in the 11 uh, as those two teamed up together at Wigan and actually supports our theory hugely because I read some interesting articles from Wigan fans saying that Jean Beausajour and Gomez had an almost telepathic link between them. Yeah. Well, actually, that cross I talked about in the Reading game was headed away by none other than Jordi Gomez. Oh, well, there we go. Yeah. They linked up seamlessly on the left flank when Gomez drifted outside. And Beausajour, as you said, bombed forward and often got behind the opposition defensive lines thanks to a Gomez perfectly weighted pass. When Martinez signed him for Swansea, he said he's got great control, technical ability and never gives the ball away. And I think that's exactly what we want from a centre midfielder in this Tiki Taka 11. Yeah, I really like that pick. Um, a player that had flair, technical ability, would fit in seamlessly into this lineup. And alongside him, I think we've got one of the greats um, of certainly our, our years watching football, actually, Arthur. Um, a Portugal legend, Rui Costa. It Was he Fiorentina? He was Fiorentina, you're right. He, he struck up a wonderful relationship with the, uh, the striker at the time, Gabriel Batistuta, um, who, of course, we know from his, his Argentina days. One of the most creative midfielders of all time, um, the ultimate playmaker who set a rhythm for the game and others followed. Um, he came through at a similar time to Luis Figo. Um, and so I think perhaps he didn't get the kudos he deserved for that reason. He only made his move to AC Milan uh, when he was 28, where he did win a Serie A and a Champions League. But perhaps if he hadn't stayed so long at Fiorentina, he might have been adorned with even more silverware. 
Um, he had a Paul Scholes like eye for a pass, which earned him the nickname the Prince of Florence. Um, and he once declared that it's creating goals that fulfills me more than scoring them. So in, in many ways, he was your ultimate fantasy league assist maker. Um, I, I would really urge people to check out some of his videos. Um, he's like, like Jordi Gomez, to be honest, one step ahead of everybody else on the field. Um, an ability to spot things before even you see them as a viewer uh, and play the pass with, with perfect balance. Um, from, from the greasy hair to the tape under the knee, he really was an icon uh, of football in that era. And I think an embodiment of that Italian football style that we saw um, during the time that Costa was playing. I think he'd fit right in with the tiki-taka midfield. I seem to remember him being one of those players who... Do you remember the good versus evil advert from Nike? Yes, I do. It was wonderful. <laughs> I think he was in that. I remember they were playing against some kind of group of demonic people and they had to defend the beautiful game yeah and eric Cantona was the was the guy who delivered the the victory that was amazing <laughs> <laughs> yeah i loved costa i love watching some of his uh, his clips on youtube and stuff and um really excited to have got him into one of our 11s that was perch this is Gomez trying to cap his day with the goal. What a goal! Absolute screamer. And how he has deserved that. Left wing, Arthur. So I've gone for Stefan Sessegnon. <laughs> okay, yeah. So Steve Bruce, upon signing him for Sunderland, said he can play on the left, can play on the right, through the middle. He's lightning quick and he's a match winner. He's a little powerhouse with a low centre of gravity, some great dribbling skills and a good shot. I mean, Steve Bruce has pretty much summed up Messi there. Yeah, well, actually, um, <laughs> Stefan Sessegnon's chant while he was at Sunderland, I believe, went something like this. God took Messi and Pele, mixed the two to take one, and he came out with Stefan Sessegnon. So <laughs> the parallels with Messi were noticed by the Mackhams. Absolutely. He was a player who had this exceptional ability with the ball at his feet and could often mesmerise defenders. He spent five years, five and a half years, playing in England with Sunderland and then West Brom and is remembered for his trickery and pace. And actually something to show the trickery um, when he was at PSG, he did this dribble versus Lens, which was known as the bunny hop. <laughs> What? Well, basically, he was chased by three defenders with the ball at his feet. Eventually, he was bundled to the ground, but he gets up and he then holds the ball between his calves and hops past the bemused pursuers, wow. leaving all three in his wake. And they look unbelievably angry. They do that typical footballer outraged look where they throw their hand down in anguish. Yeah. <laughs> and that was an example of how tricky he was to mark. He grew up in, in Benin um, and played 82 caps for them. One of their greatest players of all time, possibly their greatest player of all time. And he actually grew up playing barefoot in Benin with a tin can. And he got his first pair of boots aged 13, which apparently he didn't really even use because he barely played on grass pitches. It was mostly on pitches of kind of gravel. Um, yeah. So they didn't come in handy. When he played for a very, very big team, 
he got his move from, I think it was Le Mans. He got his move to Paris Saint-Germain for 10 million. He wore the number 10 shirt, which was previously worn by JJ Kocher and Ronaldinho. So there was an enormous amount of pressure on him. And sadly, I don't quite know why it didn't work out for him there because he was player of the season before he fell out with their coach, Antoine Combouare. And, uh, and then he, he got his move to, to the Premier League and we got to see his exceptional talent. And I think it's his versatility across the front line and his blistering pace that make him an excellent option. I think we want these wingers to be interacting well with our false nine um, mm. who will drop deep and potentially play pretty penetrating balls into the flanks for these quick, pacey wingers potentially to take advantage of. Mm. And I, I think he's a bit of a highlights real player when I think back about Stefan Sessignon. You know, it was flashes of brilliance, but frustration as well. But like you say, I think that can be accommodated within a, a side that passes so accurately and and, and can slip him in um, for some, some chances to score great goals. And on the other side of the midfield, Arthur, I've gone for a player who was quite dynamic, an attacking midfielder who was used on the flanks by his side in the Premier League. He was a La Masia graduate again. So he was taught tiki-taka as a youngster. And I think that was his downfall when he got to the Premier League. It's Ruben Rockina. Oh, very good player. Yeah, so he played for Blackburn, um, which is why the name might be familiar. He played for them under Steve Keane, which was not the greatest time in Rovers history, um, particularly not with the 2011-12 the relegation campaign. Uh, but he did actually score six times that season from 13 starts, which is a reasonable record for a player that's playing in midfield. Like many uh, players that come over from Spain and, and, and that part of the world, I think he was probably a bit lightweight for the Premier League and for English football. He was used to having more time on the ball. He was used to being able to pick passes and impose his creativity on the game, but struggled really to settle properly. Um, Blackburn fans no doubt could see his potential. I mean, he was only 21 years old when he was scoring goals in the Premier League, but they were always frustrated that he never quite lived up to his billing, perhaps because of the clashes of style. Um, in terms of Tiki Taka, though, I think it was it was proven that he could be successful at playing this more elaborate style of football. Um, he actually uh, played for Levante for a little while, and he was considered one of the best dribblers and, and creative players in, in the European game, um, nearly finding a way into the kind of Spain national setup. Uh, and he also actually attracted a, quite a big fee when he moved to Rubin Kazan, Nine million pounds the Russian side paid for him. Um, So, yes, he's somewhat of a forgotten player in Premier League history, but he did carve out a reasonable career. And I I imagine that with a style more suited to his attributes, uh, he could have been a big a big deal. We can't have a ticky tacker 11, Arthur, without a false nine. I agree. I've actually chosen a player who wasn't a false nine but largely because of the fact that his team didn't play a false nine okay and he was a player who played in this country i've gone for georgie king cladzy yeah okay i remember king cladzy uh, i think he was when he was playing at his prime it's probably slightly before my time but i believe he was at man city that is correct he did eventually end up at man city he grew up the son of two academics in Soviet Georgia. 
And so he was drawn towards ballet and gymnastics at a young age because these were pretty popular amongst yeah. young boys in the Soviet Union at the time. Okay. And actually, I think that is part of the reason why he would be so good in this false nine role. It's the balance and agility that he learned from those sports at a young age that helped mm -hmm. him fit into actually a role as a number 10 he played for the majority of his career. But I'd like to push him a little bit further up the pitch because the role of the false nine is, is to be very versatile and moving all the time, dropping deep to collect the ball. And as such, I think that his jinking runs from deep could mesmerise defences and bring in the likes of Rokina and Sessegnon on the counter-attack. <laughs> it's brutal. a frightening side, isn't it? I mean, you mentioned the Barcelona side as being one of the best ever. This one's shaping up to be even greater. I agree. I'd love to see them face off. Um, <laughs> and so Georgia Kinkladze, he shone in his homeland of Georgia with Dynamo Tbilisi. He scored 41 goals in 65 games and started to shine as well for the international team. He had a few hiccups along the way. I think his career at Dynamo Tbilisi was, was punctuated by um, a civil war in Georgia, which meant that he had to look for football abroad. So he went to Germany, didn't shine. He struggled with the physicality of the German league uh, and then very randomly pitched up at Boca Juniors. Wow, <laughs> um, I didn't know Boca, that. He'd been on trial with Real Madrid and didn't quite make the cut there. And Boca were looking to pick up rejected Real Madrid talent because they okay. thought that could be a gold mine. He turned up there and, and only played three games. I think he was slightly hamstrung by the fact that they prioritised local talent, which begs the question why they signed him in the first place. But then finally, he found his home at Man City in 1995, um, yeah. where he had a very happy three years. Um, the ball seemed to just be glued to his foot. His dribbling ability led to one of the great debates in English football at the time, which was, who is a better playmaker, him or Juninho? His goal against Southampton, um, which was second in the goal of the season for that year, summed up his magical feat. He cut in off the right flank and beat, I think, five or six players before accelerating inside. And then he sat Dave Besant down by feigning to shoot and then cheekily dinked it over him. And for me, that goal really, really reminds me of Lionel Messi. It's the ability to make defenders just look foolish. A really exciting pick. And with Barcelona, Spain, a lot of the teams that have played um, have played tiki-taka football, they don't tend to go with the traditional out-and-out -out striker. Um, so someone that's able to terrorise defences like Kinkladzi, I think would be a good fit. It's interesting how many of our squad that we've just picked managed to get relegated during their time at the team. Um, but, but again, perhaps that's akin to what we're saying. Some of these players, just if the style doesn't suit them, then they tend to be a bit of a fool guy, don't they? Exactly. He was certainly made the fool guy by Royal. He mm. said there comes a point when you need to look at the style of the team and say, Georgie Gingladzi is the common factor here. Maybe he's worth dropping. And mm. they did. And very much, I completely agree with what you're saying there in the sense that because they don't fit into the style of the team, that lack of tackling from Georgie Kinkladze, which wouldn't be an issue really in a tiki-taka team, is an issue at a team that doesn't fit that style. Here's Kinkladze. 
Manchester. Janino is all the way through. Kick Clarsy scores. It's 1-0 to Manchester City. An individual effort from the magical Russian. OK, it's time for up for grabs. And this is the point when you, as listeners, get to vote on which of mine or Ben's picks you want in this 11. It's that most vital of roles, CDM. Ben, who have you chosen? Well, uh, this player was described by Pep Guardiola um, in the following lights. He said, I'm a big fan of him. He's one of the best holding midfielders I've ever seen in my life, by far. He's the level of Xabi Alonso and Sergio Busquets. It is Michael Carrick. <laughs> now, I've, I've met Michael Carrick, actually. Lovely guy. Um, nice top draw footballer obviously played for Tottenham played for West Ham but I actually think he was he was like a maturing fine wine because I think he was at his very best when he was playing for Manchester United um I don't know why he was never the man for England um in the same way that Woodgate made very few appearances uh, he actually only played four, 34 times for England which for a player of his quality is is maybe surprising uh, in 2015 the telegraph included him at number 1 in their list of the top 20 most underrated football players of all time uh, describing him as an unassuming but highly intelligent and technically gifted deep-lying midfielder who has consistently performed well and I can't help but agree. Uh, I think he'd have been a wonderful fit in a passing side. I think he'd have slotted straight into any side that was looking to play neat passing football. And perhaps that's why he was successful when he finally joined Manchester United. In 2012, he broke the record for the most forward passes by any player in a Premier League game uh, with 44. Uh, and he's actually made the fourth most passes in the Premier League ever. You can't say fairer than that. Wow. That is pretty that is pretty fair. Centre defensive midfield, Arthur, who are you going for to compete with Michael Carrick? I've actually gone for someone who was a little bit before our time, but right. someone who I have heard referred to in very, very high esteem. It's Jan Molby. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember him from Masters football. Well, whatever Absolutely. happened to Masters football? It was great. Who knows? It's actually perhaps a signpost that he would fit well into this team because Masters football obviously does require close, intricate passing. And You're right. to thrive in that shows that he is the true pass master. <laughs> um, so he had a trial with Liverpool in 1984, um, having spent the previous season in the Eredivisie playing alongside and being tutored by none other than Johan Cruyff at yeah. Ajax. He actually said there was one particular drill that he used to put Ronald Koeman and I through. He, he's talking about Cruyff here. We had to try and hit the corner flag from the halfway line. It sounds impossible, but he would have us standing with our backs to whichever corner we were aiming at. The ball would be played to us. We'd be allowed one touch to bring it under control and then hit the flag. It was tedious at times. Sometimes it went on for more than an hour. But when Johan told you to do something, you did it. And so... I think that's an interesting drill that really made, I mean, Ronald Koeman is the archetypal ball playing centre-back. Yeah. Uh, perhaps a little bit too high profile for this 11. Um, but Jan Molby picked up that skill and bought it to Liverpool. Um, in 1985-86, he scored a phenomenal 21 goals in 58 games, which is very, very strong stats for an attacking player, let alone someone who was often deployed by Kenny Dalglish as sweeper. <laughs> invariably switching into midfield as the match wore on. 
one of those goals became known as the goal that was never seen. It has now been seen, uh, fortunately, but <laughs> it was in front of 41,000 fans at Anfield okay. uh, in the League Cup against Man United. But the match wasn't televised due to a dispute over TV rights in the competition. It's an absolutely unbelievable goal. Um, some, some energetic pressing deep inside his own half before he picks the ball up drives through almost the entire United team and then unleashes a shot that screams into the top corner. And it's a goal that United goalkeeper said was the, the hardest hit shot he's ever faced. And fortunately, we can now see it on YouTube due to some police surveillance footage. <laughs> that <was taken. laughs> wow, that's um, impressive. But he was just so comfortable with the ball at his feet. He distributed the ball incredibly effectively and was the fulcrum for that Liverpool side. This is great because we've started a bit of a rivalry here. We've got Liverpool versus Manchester United in our up for grabs. Mulby <laughs> versus Carrick. Several players just missed the cut. They're on today's bench. Um, there was a bit of a Spanish theme running through my research, Arthur, maybe unsurprisingly. Mark Muniesa, the Stoke City defender, he nearly made it in for me. Albert Ferrer as well of Chelsea. Um, and a Costa Rican as well, Brian Ruiz. I nearly put him in the side. Oh, yes. He would have been a very good false nine, potentially. Mm. Another potential option for false nine uh, was Georgie Hadji, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, Goran Pandev as well. I enjoyed okay. his deep-lying, attacking talent. One that needs to be mentioned as well, potentially a bit too mainstream for this team, is another false nine, Francesco Totti. Yeah. Deployed yeah. very effectively in that role for Roma. Kanchelskis as well, absolutely rapid winger. I thought he could have been a good option at right wing. And mm. Thomas Rosicki as well. Fantastic. Well, any other suggestions you have, we'd love to hear from you. This is the Tiki Taka 11 for this week, though. Uh, in goal, we've got Itumalang Kune. Uh, at left back, Jean Beausajour. Centre backs, Jonathan Woodgate and Chico Flores. At right back, Lionel Scaloni. Uh, centre defensive mid, that's your choice. It's either Michael Carrick or Jan Mulby. Uh, centre midfield, Jordi Gomez and Rui Costa. And then the front three are Stefan Sessegnon, Ruben Rochina and Georgie Kinkladzi. Thanks very much for joining us on the 11. 